Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It was good to hear a nice snake story. That was good. <laughs> I can't think of many good ones, but uh, huh. a beautiful song. Very, very nice. It's good to see your faces. Sorry I wasn't here two weeks ago. We had 16 inches of snow. and Anyway, that's what I learned about a lake effect. <laughs> now I know. So, well, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your love. You are holy and you are merciful. And we know that most of the world doesn't really know you. And Father, we know that we have an opportunity to get to know you better each day. We see glimpses of you, but Father, we truly want to know you. And to know that you are love. Thank you for sending your son, that as we look at Jesus we know you better. So, Father, in this theme today on the faith of Jesus, as we continue, we ask that you open our minds, our hearts, to draw closer to you, to know and to taste eternal life, is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've, we've been doing this series on the faith of Jesus because that's part of the description of God's people in the end of time. There's the patience of the saints because they're going to face opposition. Who keep the commandments of God and the, they have the testimony of Jesus, but they have the faith of Jesus. And um, so we're going to look at having, uh, what's the connection between the faith of Jesus and love. And so far in our series, we've covered uh, the faith of Jesus um, and and faith itself. Uh, Jesus' faith in his word. Jesus' faith we did at prayer meeting in his father. What did Jesus say about the father? To know about what the faith of Jesus is, we have to look at his life. We have to look at his words. I mean, where else are we going to go? And today I want us to look at the faith of Jesus and love itself. And that seems to be like a no-brainer because God is, is love. But let's just look at the life and words of Jesus as we look at this topic here. So that's on. Did it go? Oh, okay. Okay. I want us to start off with this statement because there is a reason Jesus did have to come. Because the world hasn't really known God to be a God of love. From the book Steps of Christ, Satan led men to conceive of God as a being whose chief attribute is stern justice. One who's a severe judge, a harsh, exacting creditor. He pictured the creator as a being who is watching with jealous eye to discern the heirs and mistakes of men that he may visit judgments upon him. It was to remove this dark shadow by revealing to the world the infinite love of God that Jesus came to live among men. Jesus also came to die for our sins. But it might be that even the main reason was to show us the Father. Uh, Of the three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one we tend to know the best and most correctly is, it would be Jesus. Are there some misconceptions about the Holy Spirit? There are some. Some say he's an influence, he's really not a person. But we, he is a little bit of a mystery, but we know it's a third person. But the person who's probably most misunderstood is probably the father. As if Jesus came to save us against the wrath of a father. I mean, this is very typical in many other denominations. Is that God is exacting, God is stern. There are millions, if not billions of people 
who don't accept Jesus because they see God the Father as being very stern and unmerciful. And that's why we need Jesus in part. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've actually seen the Father. And John, or Jesus says in John 17, 3, life eternal is to know God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If I really want to understand and taste eternal life, it's really important for me to see the Father. And to see the Father is the one who sent his Son. That's exactly what John 17, 3 is saying. Eternal life is to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom thou, the Father, hast sent. So I need to keep thinking about the Father as the one who actually sent Jesus, his Son. Because as I see the Son, so is the Father. And Jesus uh, said in John 14, 7 through 11, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So we're going to look at a lot of different episodes in the life of Jesus, because every episode in the life of Jesus is a love story. Whether it's Jesus meeting with Nicodemus, whether it's Jesus meeting with the Samaritan woman, these are all stories of love. But Jesus is doing this because who told him to go? The Father. The words Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman came from the Father. So whatever we see in the life of Jesus and his words, his actions, is actually a manifestation of the Father himself. So Jesus truly came to show us the Father. Working in the in the prison, you know, there's the, and it's it's kind of a a noble task to lower recidivism, to try to help people not reoffend. But if if a if a prisoner's concept is to keep focusing on what they did wrong and not to do it again, is that the highest thought a person can have? No, no. no it's not. I mean, it's kind of noble in a sense. But in a way, if I keep focusing on my faults not to repeat them, what am I likely going to do? Probably likely actually do that again. But the thing is, is if I focus on good behavior, what's going to happen? I'm more likely to overcome my bad behavior. So even in my own personal life, if I keep focusing on my own faults and imperfections, what's going to happen? I'm really not going to get much better than that because I'm not going to rise any higher than my highest thought. And so while I realize my imperfections, what I really want to do is look at the perfection of Christ. Because if I keep thinking about a pure life, is it affecting the way I think? Absolutely. I'm filling my mind with good words and a good life, a good example. And that's going to change my behavior not to reoffend. So we've got to do more than think about overcoming. We've got to look at the one who enables us to overcome. Because he's exactly the prize, the goal uh, that we have. So it's more than doing what, uh, more than just trying to re- not reoffend. It's about having programs that gives people opportunities to do right. Which in, in the prison, they, they had people come in and te- preach them sermons. You know, stop offending. And, and I, I'm not trying to criticize here, but many of the sermons are the same. Right. You need to be forgiven. Well, these guys have been hearing for 20 years they need to be forgiven. If they got God to forgive them 20 years ago, don't just keep telling them they need to be forgiven. You need to tell them what they can do now that they are forgiven. Talk about what they can do. 
And so you start getting involved in programs where they actually start doing good, not just think about good, not think about reoffending, just that, but think about getting involved. What are you going to do to help people? So we did a survey in the prison, and some people want to overcome. The number one was dealing with anxiety and depression. The next was anger management. There were some on family and marriage. There were some on pornography and different things like that, different addictions. So what are we going to do? I asked guys, which, which seminars would you like to lead out on? Is that going to help them grow personally? By living a life of helping others overcome, they're filling their mind with doing good, yeah. doing right, instead of just thinking about not reoffending. Yeah. And that's the same with us. It's about Jesus went about doing good, which is why he never sinned in part. Yes. It's, it's not, Christian is not just not doing something wrong. It's about filling your life and doing right. Not even just thinking right. Doing right. Yes. And you'll always have an opportunity to do right. Yes. You'll never run out of opportunities. And that's why Paul would even say the key to the gospel is the just shall now actually live by faith. Yes. Notice this. And this is one of the reasons we, we, we need to talk about the faith of Jesus and love is because... In, Christ's object lesson, page 415. The last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of, of love. And I know we have to describe who the beast is and the mark of the beast and not all part of it, but we have to do it in the love of, of Jesus. Because the last revelation that God's waiting for is that he has a movement of people who can say and do everything in the love of Christ. So I've got to ask God, how can I be more loving? Not just be more knowledgeable about certain topics, but how can I be a person who doesn't just have sermons on love? I'm actually a more loving person. I think that's what God's waiting for us. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, which is the word agape, love, these three, but the greatest is what? It is. The greatest actually is love. So how can we have the faith of Jesus without the love of Jesus? Is that a fair question? If I want to have the faith of Jesus, can I have it without also having the love of Jesus? And the answer would be no. And Jesus says, I want you to love one another as much as... Yeah, as I love you. So if I want to have the faith of Jesus, I have to become not just more knowledgeable, I've got to become more... More loving. Yes. How we're loving you are right now. Our best preparation to see this work finished in our lifetime yes. is to have a focus. Father, I want to be as loving as you are when you sent your son. Yes. I want to be that kind of loving. Yes. I want to be as loving as Jesus who gave himself for me. That kind of loving. I wasn't born that way. You weren't born that way. But since we've been born again, we can now grow yes. in love. Just like a tender plant grows. We, we have to grow in everything. Grow in faith. Grow in humility. Grow in love. Just keep growing. Amen. You know? And uh, notice what it says about faith and love in Galatians 5, 6. The last part of it. For Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Actually, I can't actually have the faith of Jesus without, without love. Because what motivates faith is love. And the more love I have, the more faith in Christ I'll exercise. 
Does that make sense? It's as if my faith needs something to motivate it to work. And so the disciples would be sent out into the world and they knew they would be persecuted. But as Paul says, his love um, constrains us. It's like, how could I not go to Macedonia? How could I not, Timothy say, go to India? How could I not go? Because Christ's love drives me to go, motivates me to go. And it's like us having this message that no other church has. They have parts of it. But God gave us a whole. How can we not tell the world? Because the love of Christ constrains us to tell the world that Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is in the most holy place, ready to leave the most holy place where every case is decided and it could happen any day now. Now, there's certain things that have to happen first. We don't have a Sunday law yet. But at some point, we will, probably soon, and Jesus is wrapping it up. Most people don't want to believe in a judgment hour message. They just want to hear that days are going to be better. But we know that instead of a thousand years of peace, there's going to be seven last plagues. Love constrains us to go out and tell people even things they don't want to hear because it's true. And they deserve to know because Christ died for them. This was an interesting statement. Ministry of healing. It's connected to love. There's a principle here. Page 492. Earnest workers have no time for dwelling upon the faults of others. We cannot afford to live on the husks of others' faults or failings. Evil speaking is a twofold curse, falling more heavily upon the speaker than upon the hearer. He who scatters the seeds of evil in others develops evil where? In those who look. Isn't that an interesting thought? By dwelling upon the faults of others, we are changed into that same image. But by beholding Jesus talking of his love, you see the difference? If I talk evil of people, who becomes evil? I become evil. And I think they're evil. But by focusing on their evil, I become evil. But my option to that is to talk about who Jesus is. And if I focus on him, then I become like him. We can't afford, in this shortness of, we can't afford to be talking about the husks. Who's going to live on the husks? We can't live on that. We can't live on evil speaking. We have to live and have all that nutrients from the life of Jesus. And this builds us up to be like Jesus. This is what's going to prepare us for about what's about ready to come. We have to build up reserves, strength for what's going about ready to happen. And I have no strength from the husks. The husk will never get me through the time of trouble that's coming. Only the good nutrients that come from the life of Jesus. This is what gets me ready for what's about ready to happen. But by beholding Jesus, talk of his love and perfection of character, we become changed into his image. By contemplating the lofty idea he has placed before us, we shall be uplifted into a pure and holy atmosphere. Our brain's going to work different. Even the presence of God, when we abide here, there goes forth from us, a light that irradiates all who are connected with us. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement. So love is a principle, right? Uh, the world thinks it's more like an infatuation thing, a feeling thing. But notice how what love's connected to in these verses. 
For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He did something. His only begotten son. Notice Galatians 1, 4 and 2, verse 20. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet I. But Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. So often in the Bible, you'll see the word love and gave together. Uh, Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, who's a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Amen. So if I want to be more loving, I have to be more giving. Okay, now I didn't want to single you out there. Especially when you're visiting. (laughs) I want to be more loving. I have to be more giving. But what do I give? Well, myself. But before I can give, I have to... I have to receive. What do I want to receive to give? I want to receive Christ to give. I don't have any humility, but if I want to be humble and give, I have to receive humility from Jesus. If I want to be more loving, I have to receive love for that person. Because the love I was born with, I was born with the kind of love. I love my dog. I love pizza. I love, you know. But that kind of love doesn't change people's lives. Agape love is a love we're not born with that we can be born again with. So I can, if I don't like person A, what do I do? Father, I wasn't even born with the kind of love to love person A. Yes, sir. But I know you love person A because you died for person A. Yes, sir. May I have your love for person A? Mm. Will he give it to me? Sure. Absolutely. If we're willing to give good gifts to our children, he's more willing to give us the Holy Spirit, right? And the work of the Holy Spirit is to give me Jesus. Yes. So Jesus lives through me. Now I can love person A because now I have Jesus loving me. I've received his love for that person. Now I can give love. Mm -hmm. But I have nothing to give if I don't have him who gave himself. Amen. So for me to be more loving, I need more of Christ. Who loved us supremely. Right? Because that's the only place love comes from. I can't give love by just reading a verse on love, but I can claim the verse and have it written on my heart. But still, every day I need to have more of him who loved us with an everlasting love. And if I keep my focus there instead of my faults and other people's faults, I become more loving. Is that right? We're more prepared as a movement of people to take what we do know to be truth, the Seventh-day Sabbath and the the resurrection and all these beautiful truths that most churches don't believe in. But we have to take the love of Jesus with us to do it in such a way that people will come in at the last hour. Um, This is an interesting mind, character, personality, page 205. Love is a tender plant. Okay, so we got to grow in love. And it must be cultivated, isn't that? You've got to cultivate love and, and cherish. Yeah. must be cultivated and cherished. And the roots of bitterness all have to be plucked up around it in order for it to have room to circulate. And then it will bring in under its influence all the power of the mind, all the heart, so that we shall love God supremely and our neighbor as ourselves. 
I want to stop there. If I have bitterness in my heart, will it affect my ability to love? Absolutely. If I'm bitter about this situation, I'm bitter towards this person and some other person and this and that. It takes away from my ability to be more loving. But what if I start plucking out the bitterness? It leaves more room for love to grow. You see? And that doesn't mean it's only bitterness. When self is submerged in Christ, true love springs forth spontaneously. So in other words, the more selfish I am, the less loving I can be. So there could be a lot of things I, Jeff, has to overcome to be more. What if I'm bitter? selfish, this, and a number of other things, I have diminished my ability to be more loving. But what if through Christ, through work of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to have victory over bitterness and victory over selfishness and victory over this? What happens? I have more capacity to love. I have more capacity to take what I know is true and share it with people so they're more likely to accept it before Jesus comes. Okay? Okay, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we're going to try to look at as many of these stories as we can before time's up. But Christ came to die for everybody, which means that he's not bitter towards anybody. He didn't come to condemn to express his bitterness at us. He's not bitter at us. He loves us. It's God's nature. Mm-hmm. We're the ones that have bitterness in us because of sin. Mm-hmm. So Jesus came. So we. So if, if Jesus is not bitter and he came to die for all, guess who else is not bitter? The Father. And so this whole concept that God is some exacting judge is just simply not true. Mm-hmm. There's no bitterness in God. He hates sin, but he loves, he loves the sinner and sent his son to die for... For everybody, right? So we're going to try to look at some of these here. So the demoniac, he's the one who threw himself in the fire, and he's the one that screamed at night and scared the jabib, you know. What's that word? The gajibers? It's close, but it's not it. Okay, but anyway. Huh? Uh, I think you know what I mean. The storm on the lake did not dampen Jesus' desire to rescue the demoniac. He could have used this as an excuse. One man across the sea, whoa, look at these waves. Ah, you know, maybe I'll come another time. You realize what Jesus did? He risked going in a boat on a stormy sea to reach one person because of because of love. But if Jesus had any bitterness in his heart, he would have found a reason not to go. And he certainly had one. Okay? And I think we have to pray. I don't know my own heart. None of us know our own heart. But this is why we pray. We could pray specifically, not even knowing, Lord, is there any bitterness in my heart? Or is there more selfishness? Is there more this? And we can ask that, not knowing how much there is, But we should still pray and ask God because he will reveal what we need to overcome. Is that right? Mm -hmm. He's not going to show Jeff all his faults at once, but one at a time. 
Okay, Jeff, you're still a little bitter about this. Okay, let's take care of this, and I'm going to show you something else. Okay, as soon as you overcome this, because you can't overcome this unless you overcome this. And so the Holy Spirit says that perfect teacher knows how to lead each one of us. So he passed by no one as worthless because he had no bitterness towards anybody. He only had, he only had love. The demons had a request to be thrown into 2,000 swine and Jesus permits it. The townspeople asked Jesus to leave because he didn't want them to help one more person because it was going to cost them 2,000 more swine. Jesus came to die for all, no matter what they've done, no matter how many times they've done it. But in their view, a man wasn't worth 2,000 swine. God loves us supremely. Nobody will love you like Jesus and the Father and the Father. Christ's love is deep and earnest, flowing like an irrepressible stream to all who will accept it. There's no... You see, that's it. And that's what I got to pray for. Father, I know I need to be more loving. Is it bitterness? Is it selfishness? Is it something else? What's yet in my life that keeps me from being a more loving person? Is that a fair question? Is that something worth praying about? Absolutely. And we can ask God because how much does he know? He actually knows everything. I could go to a psychiatrist. But actually, God knows everything. Okay? The most careful attention to the outward properties uh, of life is not sufficient to shut out all the fretfulness, harsh judgment, and unbecoming speech. True refinement will never be revealed so long as self is considered as a supreme object. So what happens in Christianity sometimes is we make ourselves look good on the outside. But all the refinement on the outside doesn't change necessarily the inside. What I really need to be praying about is God make me beautiful from the inside so that I can be the kind of person you need me to be in my relationship with other people. Cast are caught in the very act of adultery, Mary Magdalene, and the religious leaders were ready to stone her. So how much was she worth to them? And they really weren't even after Mary. Who were they really after? Jesus. They wanted to catch him, you know. They wanted to catch him in some argument to make it look like he really wasn't keeping Moses' law. Therefore, he couldn't be the Messiah, you know. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. for For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. I think if we really took inventory of how much God really has freed us from. And sometimes when we don't think about that, Mary never forgot. Mary seemed to never forget how much Jesus saved her from, forgiven her for. And therefore, she's the one using oil on his feet before his crucifixion, wiping his feet with her hair. First one to the tomb, the one standing at the cross. Forgiven much. She appreciated. It's not because she was the world's greatest sinner. She sinned much. It doesn't say she sinned more than anybody. She just sinned a lot. And her sins were probably more evident, right? But then the antediluvians, their thoughts were continuously evil. I mean, I don't know. seems like they were worse off. But, um, but this is part of the thing that we need to do is to continue to appreciate what Christ has forgiven us for. 
uh, not to dwell on our past, but what he's changed in us. Jesus took special pleasure in helping those who were helpless and whose case looked unpromising, uh, were not to pass by any as hopeless. And that's part of what love is, isn't it? Love isn't choosing and picking who we want to love. Mm -hmm. It's whoever God places in our sphere of influence. You know, the other interesting thing about Mary, going back to when she was putting that expensive ointment on his feet, right? Mm. And wiping his feet with her hair. Did people complain to her? Uh, You can think of who was the main complainer. Judas, wasn't it? So, So Judas is complaining about the expense of this. It could have been used for a good work. And yet, what did Judas do just not far down the road? He sells out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? Um, Because he had what in his heart? Selfishness, bitterness, jealousy. All that kept him from being loving. Mary Magdalene committed adultery after adultery after adultery, and yet she was forgiven and changed and had love in her heart. She was perhaps the closest person to heaven that day than anybody else that was walking the earth because of her love for the Savior that she expressed more than anyone else. And notice what Jesus does here. She knows, and she's hearing these words of complaint. Does it affect the way she's feeling? Absolutely. What's Jesus going to say? And what did he say? She's doing a good work. Is that love? Absolutely. He knew that these harsh words she was hearing affected her. And yet, what she was doing, she simply did, in the spirit of prophecy, she simply did it because the Holy Spirit prompted her to do that. You know, do you need a reason to do good? Do you really need a verse to tell you to love this person? Does a, if the Holy Spirit leads you to do it, to do something good, do it. Because yes, yes, that is the life of Jesus, right? Amen. It's cooperating with him. Amen. The more a person's heart is in communion with God and the more his affections are centered in Christ, the less will be he will be disturbed by the roughness and hardship he meets in this life. Amen. And one of the reasons is that we're going to go through tests and trials. My best position to go through the tests and trials, and you may be going through one now, could be financial, could be your health, could be relationships. Your best preparation is still, is love. Love is what gives us the strength to move on. To know that there's more to life than that one relationship or this one financial hardship or this one. There's more to life because life is, because God is love. That even if I would lose some wealth, even if I would lose some relationships, I still have a life because my identity isn't based on evolution, Amen. where there's no identity. Amen. My identity is that I'm created in God's image. And I've got to remember that, that whether I'm rich or poor, whether I have friends or not, I'm still created in God's image, which gives me purpose, gives me worth. It gives me identity. And my relationship with him must come before my relationship with others. 
And if that is salt and I'm becoming more loving, it won't matter my financial situation. It won't matter. Not that these things are unimportant, but what becomes first is that I'm growing in my love, right? Because you're going to face disappointments. And the thing is, is that Mary Magdalene, he could look at Mary Magdalene, but as I look at this quote, nothing disturbed Jesus because he was... If I go to the prison and a guy says, you know, I'm here for multiple murders, I could be disturbed by that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, Christ died as much for him as he died for me. Amen. You know, and we can be disturbed by things that happen, that the more loving we are, the less disturbed we are. When people come to us with certain challenges, right? Is it time? The Savior has a boundless love for every human being, and each one he sees capacity for improvement. With divine energy and hope, he greets those for whom he has given his life. And, and maybe I need to close with this, and we'll pick this up next time. Is that okay? Because, you know, how do you end with a sermon on love part one? You know, but, um, so Jesus, part of love is seeing not people even as they are, but what they can become. Love inspires people. Don't talk to people which you don't want them to become. Well, you're worthless. You'll never become something. What did I just do? They're actually likely to be that way. Why are you like this? Well, now they're more likely to be like that. I just impressed their mind with it. But if I would say, you know, I know they don't have to be like this. I don't know exactly why they are like this. Could be the way they were brought up. Could be somewhat genetic. Could be, could be a lot of things. I don't know. I'm just finite. But what I can do is inspire them by helping them to be a better person. Yes, I could do that. And that changes the way I think. That makes me more loving. And so Jesus, the other thing, just close here. He greeted everyone that he died for. Amen. He, he didn't pass by anybody. So, you know, like when I'm at the prison, I always say, you know, I always greet people. I don't say, well, how's your day going? Because I've heard too many people say, well, this isn't paradise, you know. <laughs> so I've kind of got away from that. And just greet them. How you, you know, good morning and, uh, you know, things like that. And uh, so, but greeting people is important. Because they, they feel like you've recognized them. And that's where you just simply have to start. And then you go from there and just have thoughts of inspiring hope in people. Well, we'll continue this. Um, I think um, Tuesday or Wednesday night prayer meeting, we're going to talk about the faith of Jesus and conversion. What did Jesus say about conversion and the Holy Spirit? So anyway, let's uh, before we have our closing prayer, we have a, a closing hymn. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you are altogether beautiful. Beautiful in perfect love and mercy and long-suffering. And Father, we want to thank you how you worked in and through your son Jesus. Thank you for the ideas, the words, the actions that you did through your son to know that you want to do the same things through us. You created us for fellowship, and Father, may we invite you every day into our heart and in our mind 
to reflect your altogether beautiful character. Thank you, Father, for this day, the sacred day, the Sabbath day, that you've laid aside that we may not be encumbered by the business of the world or worldly things, but to keep our focus on thee is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.